Coming up on Golf Today, Matthew Fitzpatrick claims the tartan jacket at the RBC Heritage, outdueling Jordan Spieth as the sun set in the low country. But just how high can Fitzy's star rise? And it's time for the first major of the LPGA season as all roads lead to the Woodlands down in Texas. Who are some players to keep an eye on when the best in the world tee it up on Thursday? And the reaction to Rory McIlroy's WD from the RBC has been loud, but has it been fair? We take a closer look at the state of Rory next on Golf Today. Golf Today. Today on a Monday, Damon Hack alongside Eamon Lynch as the American rock band Stained once said, it's been a while. How are you, my friend? Good. I'm glad that Golf Today finally cobbled together the money to pay the ransom. Demand for you, Damon, <laughs> because I'm starting to get concerned. It's been so long since I've seen you. Been on the road, little Florida swing here, did a Texas two-step, Austin, San Antonio, and then Augusta. I reintroduced myself to my wife and kids. My kids have mustaches now. It's been so long. <laughs> since I've been home, but it's been a long time since we sat together. A lot of things have happened on the PGA Tour. I'm loving the designated events, by the way. We continue to see the best players in the world step up. The second PGA Tour victory for Maddie in his 122nd career starting with the win moves from number 16 to number 8 in the official World Golf Ranking, the highest position of his career. And after the victory, broke it all down with Kira K. Dixon. Well, Matt Fitzpatrick just claimed his second victory on the PGA Tour at a place that I know means so much to you. You said that this is special only behind winning a major. Take us through the day today and the battle that you just had with Jordan Speed. Yeah, uh, I just felt like I had to be really patient. Um, just I felt like if I could just hang on in there and, um, you know, do as, do as best I can, um, that's all I could do. Uh, I felt like I'd been playing really solid. Felt like I had a great week last week, and you know, coming into the week in practice, I felt pretty solid too. So um, yeah, got off to a good start round one, um, and then obviously a great round yesterday as well. And uh, yeah, managed to seal the deal today. What were the, the emotions coming down the stretch, and then through those three playoff holes? Yeah, de definite nerves. Um, I think there, there always is a bit of that. It's, it's funny. I didn't feel as nervous uh, for this as I did in Italy last year when I almost won, and um, I think that was probably kind of a testament to myself of just trying to you know be more patient and just let things happen and um that's that's what i felt i did really well today i was patient i was kind of you know behind the eight ball a few times and um you know just tried to stick in there well, speaking of sticking it in there the approach shot on 18 uh was quite an impressive shot uh just describe what you were thinking over that shot yeah the, the first playoff hole we had 179 at 99 about 10 yards past the hole and then the second the third playoff hole we had 186 and hit 99 two inches short. So um, for me, it was, um, yeah, it was just a perfect yardage. Billy was absolutely delighted with the yardage. You didn't really have to do much caddy, and he said. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a great shot. Your family was here to celebrate the win. What was it like seeing them come up on the 18th green at the end of that playoff? It doesn't get better than that. You know, it just doesn't get better than that. I, I've been lucky that they've been at a lot of wins now. And um, just, you know, my girlfriend was here as well. That's that's obviously her first win as well mm -hmm. to, to be here and um so you know to have those special people in your life here when you have such success is is um you know just yeah just amazing we've been talking all week just about how hard you've been working coming back from injury everything that you consistently do all of the time the journaling of every single one of your shots when you get a result like this and you sit back later today and think about it what does this one mean to you 
yeah, it's hard to put into words. Um, I think maybe, you know, once I've kind of done everything and get to sit down and just, you know, have a quiet moment, I'll probably, you know, realise it. But uh, just from staying in the inn um, to being here as a little kid, it's just, yeah, so special for me. It's, it's the one that it's one that I've always wanted outside the majors. So, yeah. Congratulations. Two-time winner on the PGA Tour. Thank you. How about Englishmen younger than 30 with multiple PGA Tour wins over the last 40 years? Couple former world number ones in Luke Donald and Justin Rose, and now Matt Fitzpatrick as well, Eamon. And I'm thinking about a couple things. The conversation I had with Pete Cowan, you know, Matt's a part of his stable. This was a conversation back in 2016 at Troon, and Pete was talking about their players who are have a little bit of soft chin, maybe not that tough. Maybe they can't close. He said Matt Fitzpatrick is the exact opposite, that inside that little body, and then it was little, lived a menace. And we're seeing that toe-to-toe. -to -toe. You know, this week with Jordan Spieth. At the U.S. Open, it was Scotty Scheffler, Will Zalatoris, Colin Morikawa, you'll recall. Rory McIlroy was on that board. Hideki Matsuyama was on that board. And I think about the sentimentality of this player as well. I mean, think about where he's gotten some notable victories. All the way back to 2013, he wins a U.S. Amateur at Brookline with his kid brother Alex on the bag. The family is there. Then nine years later, he wins a U.S. Open at the very same venue. And hitting a great nine iron, by the way, off the fairway bunker, 72nd hole to make sure he got the job done. You know, how many athletes have that kind of moment in the same place? And I'm getting similar vibes, Eamon, at the RBC Heritage. He used to vacation there with his family when he was a little kid, and now he gets his second PGA Tour victory at the same place where he was basically vacationing as a child. It's just a shame he's going to be carded when he tries to buy some celebratory champagne for this victory, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, he said you referred to him earlier as a baby-faced killer, and there are some guys out there who have the game to put themselves in this kind of situation, a game to win, don't necessarily have the stomach or the heart mm. for it. I always remember a line Harry Diamond, Rory McIlroy's caddy, said to me on the putting green a few years ago at Bay Hill. He said the one guy that he was looking for on the leaderboard that day was Matt Fitzpatrick. He said he's just a little killer. Wow. And even Jordan Spieth, an interesting line yesterday, he said he snuck in there and played tremendous golf, which really speaks to how Matt Fitzpatrick goes about his business. A lot of it is by stealth. Mm. He works his way in there, and when he gets in there, he's kind of like a little bit of a Rottweiler. He's not going anywhere. We saw that at Brookline, and we certainly saw it yesterday. Yeah, it seemed like for a lot of the day, it was Spieth v. Cantlay, and it seemed like even the gallery was feeling that as well. And then Fitzpatrick birdies 15 and 16. And, it, and you could tell clearly that the gallery was rooting for Jordan Spieth. And here's Matt Fitzpatrick kind of flipping the script on its head. And it just tells me this is a player who's very, very tough. We've kind of detailed what he's done physically, the added bulk, the increased club head speed and ball speed and swing speed and how he does detail and chart every single shot and swing that he makes. But he has, you know, the complete game through the bag. But it's the toughness that he has to be able to take out Jordan Spieth, who was trying to go back to back when he was clearly the underdog, speaks a lot about what's inside Matt Fitzpatrick as well. And we saw a lot of the evidence of that tenacity inside of him earlier this year. He had a neck injury. He's mm. made 10 starts this year. He missed four cuts. He missed four cuts in 25 starts total last mm. year. So that's a pretty rough start to his season that he had. But you mentioned his, his statistical performance. It is remarkably consistent throughout the bag. He's 51st now in driving distance on the PGA Tour. You go back four years, he was outside of the top 150 in that category. He doesn't look any bigger, but he certainly added 
a lot more speed to his golf swing. You know, he's 26th off the tee uh, on the PGA Tour, and he's top 25 on the greens and around the greens. The only outlier statistic where he's dropped off is strokes gained approach. He's 139th mm. on tour. He certainly didn't play like it in those closing stretch of holes yesterday, particularly in the playoff, but he was in the 40s in that category last year. So it's just a little bit of an outlier. But if you're trying to create an identical picture of a remarkably consistent guy, you're going to get it in Matt Fitzpatrick, and it shows in the results. This is four years in a row in his career. He's had a win, and eight years out of nine, he's had a win. It does feel like we're living in an era of this English renaissance in professional golf, but I think that most conversations over the last couple of years have started, I would say, with Tyrrell Hatton and Tommy Fleetwood. Is, is Matt Fitzpatrick the best player in the game from England right now? Is he the player in your mind who's kind of at the tip of the spear as far as English golf is concerned? Absolutely. It's very hard to argue with the results. Even if you look at the results in Europe, the DP World Tour Championship in Dubai at the end of the year, one of the key events on the European Tour. It's usually the best players in Europe are there. He's won that twice as well. He's put himself in the mix consistently in the PGA Tour over the last few years. He wins a major championship going up against stiff competition down the stretch at Brookline. He does it again here. He's the guy who's racking up the wins. Tyrrell Hatton's obviously won here as well. Tommy Fleetwood's still waiting for that first victory. It's a pretty good one-two-three punch of English players, but right now I'd have to give the edge to Fitzpatrick because the results are backing him up. Yeah, and a huge win for Matt Fitzpatrick, his second career win on the PGA Tour. Folks, take a look at the Comcast Business Tour Top 10 because with this win, Matt Fitzpatrick moves from number 81 all the way to 22 in the standings and since 2009 every player who finished in the Comcast Business Tour top 10 has made it to the Tour Championship at East Lake so if players finish in the top 10 odds are they're going to make it to the Tour Championship. And it's the first major week of the year for the women with the Chevron Championship. It's a new venue this year too as the event moves from the California desert to Houston, Texas. After the break, Beth Ann Nichols will be here to break it all down. Stay with us. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Golf Central Update, brought to you by Callaway Golf. Quite the finish Saturday at the LPGA Tours Lotte Championship in Hawaii. Australian rookie Grace Kim captured the title, draining a seven-foot birdie to beat Eugene Sung and Yu Lu in a playoff. The win marks Kim's first on the LPGA Tour and just her third start as a tour member. And here was that final leaderboard in Oahu. Final round of 68 for Kim to get into that three-way playoff. Georgia Hall, the biggest name on that leaderboard there, ended up tied for sixth after a final round 
of 71. We're pleased now to be joined by my Godfrey colleague, senior writer Bethan Nichols, for a little <laughs> more insight and perspective on all of this. Bethan, what did you take away from Grace Kim's performance, given that it was just her third start on the LPGA Tour? Well, I, I, I mean, first of all, it's impressive no matter what, but I really think it, it speaks volumes to the foundation that Grace came to the LPGA with. I mean, she went birdie, birdie, and for the last two holes in regulation, and then then birdie that playoff hole and and said she didn't feel nearly as nervous as she has in previous playoffs. This is a player who's won a lot around the world. She, of course, uh, won the Australian Women's Amateur, won a number of provincial titles in Australia, longtime member of the Golf Australia National Program, won many tours, won on the Epson Tour last year. She's just had all of the stepping stones that that you need to, to feel as comfortable as you can, I think, as a rookie. She also, of course, has Kari Webb as a mentor. She's a four-time winner of, of Kari Webb's scholarship. But, but, but beyond that invaluable time with, with Kari, she also has spent time at the, the Golf Australia house in Florida in the Orlando area, which, which you know, for, for those who don't know, they ha it's, a, it's a second home, home away from home for players when it's, it's hard to get back home to Australia a lot. And I really think it's a... It's a great time to, to, to bond and get to know other players who are in a similar situation as you and kind of learn from those who are a few steps ahead of you. And just to give you another feeling of being comfortable so far away from home. So I really think she comes into the LPGA pretty prepared, as you can tell. <laughs> and Grace will join us in just a little bit, Bethann. Special week on the LPGA Tour, the first women's major of the year, the Chevron Championship, Carlton Woods. Who are some amateurs you're keeping your eye on this week? Well, the amateurs uh, are always a storyline at this championship, but but this week it's especially unusual. You know, it, it was it was obviously a, a great thing that that the Chevron Championship moved away from overlapping with the Augusta National Women's Amateur. But the problem is that now it overlaps with a lot of the conference championships for these college players. So you won't see Rose Zhang this week because she's going to be playing in the Pac-12 championship and, and turned down an invitation. Of course, Rose just wanted Augusta. But you will see Amari Avery, Zoe Campos, two players who will be competing in the Pac-12, uh, as, as well as Jess Baker, another player for UCF, who will be playing in her conference championship. All of these conference championships end on Wednesday. They'll get on an airplane. They'll fly to Texas. And in the case of both Amari and Zoe, they'll be teeing it up without any practice rounds, having never seen the course. Jess Baker, she actually came in early. She she was lucky enough to know well in advance that she had an invitation after winning the, the Women's British Amateur last summer. So she was able to come up after the Augusta National Women's Amateur and get a look. But I cannot fathom what it would be like to tee it up in a major championship having not seen the golf course. Uh, another player to, to make note of, Valentina Rossi, she... She plays for Michigan State. She actually will be missing the Big Ten Championship later this week. Uh, Saki Baba, the, the U.S. Women's Amateur Champion, will be making her debut uh, in this, this major. But I, I, I'm really going to be keeping an eye on how these ladies do because, I mean, you know, hey, they've got nothing to lose, right? <laughs> Ethan, let's talk about somebody who's not actually playing this week. You wrote an article over the weekend about Sweden's top-ranked player, Lynn Grant. She's missing the Chevron Championship as well as the International Crown next month. Explain that one. Well, Eamon, my, my timeline might look a little bit like yours on Twitter with all the reactions to folks who, who can't quite get their he head around the fact that Lynn Grant still can't get in the country. She's she's not vaccinated against COVID-19 and hasn't be able to, been able to play in the United States, but she has played all over the world this year. She's 
played in Force on the Ladies European Tour. She's played in LPGA events in Asia. She recently played on the Korean LPGA. She can basically play anywhere but the United States. So we won't see her at the Chevron. We also won't see her at the International Crown, which she's the top-ranked Sweden. She's number 22 in, in the world. And she's being replaced by Caroline Hedwall, who's number 119 in the world. So Caroline, obviously, former Solheim Cup player, has a lot of experience in these type of events. But it's a huge blow and for, for Team Sweden. It's only a four-player team. And when you trade number 22 in the world for number 119, it's tough. So, you know, the, the national public uh, health emergency is, is set to lift on May 11th, and so it's possible that we will see Len Grant competing in the United States as early as the end of May, perhaps in the, the match play event, if everything goes well for her. But it's, she has missed a lot of opportunities in the United States. Well, on that note, who are some of the players who played their way into the Chevron this weekend via the Lotte Championship, and who got bumped out? Yeah, I guess we'll start with uh, bad news first, I guess. <laughs> Alexa Pano, a rookie we're all very familiar with from the short game. You know, she was on the list going in and then missed the cut and got bumped out. Paula Creamer also missed the cut. Christy Kerr actually made the cut but had a really poor final round, 77, to, to, to get bumped. Uh, you know, but, but Christina Kim, uh, an, another player who had a strong start in, in Hawaii, she played her way in. Bailey Tardy, a player that you have to root for because she just missed out on earning her card a few years back by by less than four hundred dollars. So, so I'm I'm always pumped to see uh, Bailey have something uh, go go her way. Uh, but but Emma Talley, the newlywed who got married in Hawaii, she she played her way in. So uh, Elaine Crowder, probably one of the Stanford players who who was overshadowed on a stack team, a German player, also a former women's British amateur champion played her way in. So, uh, you know, it was a big week for, for a lot of players at the Lotte. It's also a new venue this week for the Chevron Championship, Bethan, after 50 years at Mission Hills in the California desert. Now we're outside of Houston, Texas. What are you most curious about the venue this week? Well, I, the first thing I'm going to do when I get there tomorrow is go out to 18 to see what it looks like. <laughs> of course, I've been getting all these notifications the last few weeks and these Facebook memories of beautiful <laughs> Mission Hills, and my heart kind of hurts a little bit that we won't be seeing it again. But I'm I'm really curious what 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 players think of the golf course, what what the the pond looks like on 18 that is safe for players to jump. Should someone decide to jump, there will be a robe and slippers waiting. Uh, but but, you know, I think, you know, you got the top three players in the world that that I think we, we mostly talk about these days. Jin Young Ko, Nellie Korda and Lydia Ko. All three of them haven't played in a while. You know, they, they, the LPGA, of course, was off. A lot of the big name players took off the Lotte. Uh, the LPGA, as I mentioned, didn't play during the Masters. So so these players actually haven't teed it up on the LPGA since March 30th. So they've had a lot of time to to either rest or grind or both. <laughs> so it would be interesting to see uh, what, what they come up with. But meanwhile, Georgia Hall, one of the hottest players on tour you mentioned earlier, had two runner-up finishes, found herself in contention yet again in Hawaii. I loved her Instagram post uh, after yesterday, or Saturday's brutal finish where, where she didn't get it done again. But she said, keep knocking on the door, the little door emoji, because that's what she's doing. If she can just keep com her confidence up about putting herself there, week in and week out. She's, she's the hottest player on tour who hasn't won. Speaking of somebody who knocks on the door quite a lot in major championships, Beth Ann, I want to talk about Lexi Thompson here. We, we hear a lot about Rory McIlroy. He hasn't mm -hmm. won a major since 2014. Well, neither has Lexi Thompson. Her only major victory in her career 
came here at the Chevron Championship back in 2014. 16 top 10 finishes in majors since then. She's still only 28 years old. Where do you see her in her career now? Do you think the absence of a major is weighing on her at all? A hundred percent. I mean, I, I don't know that the scar tissue will ever go away from what happened to her at Mission Hills with that four-stroke penalty when, you know, the championship looked like it was hers. And we haven't seen Lexi much this year. She's only teed it up once so far on the LPGA, and, and, and it wasn't good. Uh, you know, so she, she obviously played in, in the Saudi event as well. But, you know, it's um, there's just more questions and answers, I think, around around Lexi. And, and it was another painful loss at Congressional last year as well and, and at the Olympic Club of the U.S. Zones Open the year the year before in 2021. So, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful. It feels like, you know, the golf gods owe her one. <laughs> so I'm hopeful that, that maybe this things will turn around. Maybe, maybe a fresh venue is good for Lexi, even though she absolutely loved everything about Mission Hills, loved that golf course, loved being there despite, despite the scar tissue, but, but maybe a change of scenery will do her good. And, and she's had an awful, an awful long time to work on her game as well. Well, speaking of a change of scenery, safe travels to Houston. Hopefully some Texas barbecue <laughs> in your future. We'll speak to you soon, Beth Ann. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> all right, folks, take a look at who's in the race for the CME Globe. Players hoping to make it all the way to the season ender in Naples, Florida. Now, with her victory on Saturday, Grace Kim moves from 103rd to 8th in the race for the CME Globe. As mentioned, Grace will join us a little bit later on Golf Today. Show rolls on on this Monday. Close call for Jordan Spieth once again at the PGA Tour. Nearly defended his title at the RBC Heritage. But is he one of our winners who did not win? Find out next. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to Golf Today. Yesterday, Matt Fitzpatrick defeated defending champ Jordan Spieth in the third playoff hole at the RBC Heritage, stuffing that... Nine iron close in the par 4 18th to secure his first victory since the U.S. Open at the Country Club last June. And as we've seen often in this new era of the PGA Tour, designated event, fantastic leaderboard, big names. Jordan Spieth was trying to go back to back. Patrick Cantley is a FedEx Cup champ. You got Xander Shoffley, a 
big game hunter, Saith Tagala, Cam Davis, just a wonderful Sunday duel along the Calabogie Sound. Time now, though, for winners who didn't win. And I'm going to go right to Saith Tagala, Pepperdine alum. I got to spend some time with him at Bay Hill. One of the benefits of being on the road is actually getting to talk to the players, as much as I enjoy talking to you, good to get some insight from the best players in the world. And I just said, how different do you feel now compared to a year ago? He said, completely different, more comfortable in his skin. And not that he didn't play well a year ago. It's just that the game, like the you know, NFL players, they say it slows down a little bit. He says his confidence level, very, very high. And I think we're seeing it in the recent results. So a T5 finish at the RBC Heritage played a great round, or a couple of rounds, I should say, at the Masters Tournament, finished ninth there. Just farmer's insurance. I mean, Genesis just finding himself, continuing to knock on the door. You know, he won the QBE shootout with Tom Hoagie, still looking for that first official PGA Tour win. But it feels like it's coming, has all of the shots, hits the ball a long way. But just to hear him say how different he feels now compared to his rookie season tells me that a lot of good things are ahead for this young player. And when you look at where he's compiling these results, that's significant too, Damon. Not only last week at the Heritage and the Masters, but at the, the Genesis as well, even at, at, at Farmers, he's comfortable against elite fields yeah. as well. And that makes a big difference. And last year, he had chances to win a couple of times on the PGA Tour at the Travelers and in Phoenix. Yeah. He played aggressively. He's got this kind of Arnold Palmer mm. attitude. He just swings for the fences. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the situation is on Sunday afternoon. And I suppose at a certain point you start to rein that back in when you, you work your way through a career on the PGA Tour. But to me, one of the more impressive stats for a guy who's really only in his second year out here is that he's now gone 14 straight events since he missed a cut yeah. on the PGA Tour. You've got to go all the way back to the Sanderson's Farms last fall the last time he didn't play a weekend. That's really remarkable consistency, especially for a guy who plays as aggressively as he does. Yeah, we missed the cut last year back-to-back -back at Bay Hill and the Players' Championship. He was far from home, L.A. native, now living outside of Houston uh, where the LPGA Major Championship, the Chevron, is taking place this week. So he's kind of growing into this professional golfer's life. And last year it felt, you know, shiny and new, but also at times difficult. But things definitely are on the upswing for Sahith Tagala. How about for you? Is there a player who, you know, a winner who, who didn't necessarily bring home the trophy? Well, there's one who should have brought home the trophy, in mm. theory, you'd say, who didn't, who I would still categorize as the winner who didn't win, which is Brett Druitt on the Corn Ferry Tour. Mm. And, and fair enough, he, he coughed up a five-stroke lead heading into the final round uh, of the tournament yesterday, eventually lost to Spencer Levine. But this represents progress for a guy like Druitt. He's had his PGA Tour card a couple of times in his career. You know, five, six years ago, he missed 10 of 19 cuts. He had his card last year as well, and he missed 16 out of 23 cuts, mm. was really in the horrors. But take a look at his most recent results on the Corn Ferry Tour. Six starts so far this year. There's one missed cut in there and everything else is eighth place or better, right up to the Veritex Bank Championship, which ended yesterday when he finished second. And to me, this is a guy who's he's a career grinder. He's in his early 30s now, but he's positioning himself to be a much more seasoned player when he makes it back to the PGA Tour. And those kind of results that you're looking at right there are the kind of results that if he continues on this base, it, even anywhere close to that pace, he's going to have his PGA Tour card again heading into next year. And the world rankings show it. He was mm. outside the top 900 starting the year. He's now barely outside the top 300 in the world. I think you're right. I think it can be hard for players, for athletes to look at the big picture 
but you have to do it. When you, when you have an opportunity to win and you don't win, you have to look at the big picture and say, you know what, I'm continuing to knock on the door. I'm turning in great results. I imagine Jordan Spieth probably feels a little bit that way as well. You know, had a chance at Bay Hill. You know, had a great chance, obviously, yesterday. But big picture, you have to like how you're feeling in terms of where the state of your game is. It's really tough to find the positive when you've had a five-stroke lead the way Drew it did yesterday yeah. and you don't quite get it done. You come up short, but you also have to figure out how do you take the positives to put yeah. you in that position to begin with. And he's got to play a long-term game here. Yeah. His goal isn't necessarily to be winning on the Corn Ferry Tour. Mm. His goal is to make it back to the big show. And what he's doing week in, week out on the Corn Ferry Tour mm. has got him propelled in the right direction for that. The guy who did win, Spencer Levine, will join us in just a little bit, folks. On the other side of the break, Eamon Lynch with more on Rory's WD ahead of the RBC Heritage. We discuss the implications of skipping a second designated event this season, plus Rory's peers weigh in. Golf Today, back after this. Back on golf today, disappointing week in Augusta for Rory McIlroy. Tried to complete the career grand slam with a win in the Masters. Instead, shot a second round 77, finished at five over par to miss the cut. In case you missed it, it was a short week for the four-time major champ. Slow start, that even par 72, and then that second round 77. Third career missed cut at the Masters. Second missed cut since August of 2022. Now he was scheduled to tee it up this past week at the RBC Heritage with it being a designated event. But last Monday he withdrew, making it the second designated event of 2023 that he would miss. Now players are allowed to skip one designated event without penalty. However, the WD will cost Rory $3 million in bonus money that is tied to the PGA Tour's player impact program, also known as the PIP. Xander Shoffley, one of Rory's peers, saying rules are the rules. So, I mean, for the most part, a lot of what he wanted is what's happening. And the irony is that he's not here, meaning the RBC Heritage. Joel Damon on Rory saying, I feel like Rory was leading the charge on the changes that have been made, and he helped make the rules. He knew what the rules were, so he knew it was coming. He also has so much money, he doesn't care about $3 million. Eamon, so some tough-ish words from Rory McIlroy's peers. What do you make of it? Well, what Sandra Shoffley and Joel Damon say is true as far as it goes, but the problem is it really doesn't go very far. And it all seems a little bit premature since Rory McIlroy hasn't given a reason for the withdrawal. Mm -hmm. And when you consider what Rory McIlroy must have known last weekend, it, it adds context to this because he, he knows or would have known that a withdrawal is going to lead to suggestions, as it did, mm. that he was pouting about the Masters. It would lead to suggestions, as we just heard, from Xander Shoffley that he's putting himself above the rules that he helped write for the PGA Tour. He would also have known there was going to be, as Joel Damon noted, a financial penalty for not collecting the part of his bonus from last year that is dependent upon him playing these events this year. And he would also have known that he was going to disappoint RBC, a sponsor that's very deeply invested in the PGA Tour and that actually underwrites the Canadian Open that he's won for the last two years. So knowing all of that, the fact that Rory McIlroy still stayed home tells me that there's something else mm. that is simply more important in his life right now, whatever it is, that it wasn't going to be best addressed 
by going to play in Hilton Head Island. He's going to know what all the criticism is going to come his way. Clearly, he's prioritising something else out there. He's not going to play again for a couple of weeks until the Wells Fargo Championship. Right. He may choose to address his absence from Hilton Head then. I don't think he's obliged to. Decisions have consequences, and Rory McIlroy is going to, to meet those consequences. But the decisions don't necessarily require an explanation. Even Rory McIlroy has a right to privacy. Yeah, we don't know the reason for the WD. What we do know is that an unforeseen miscut by almost all accounts from the four-time major champ, who is so accomplished, Eamon, but he's got these twin narratives working right now. One is the bereft of a major championship since 2014, and the other is this absence of the Masters. The golf gods are saying, you're so good, you are so talented, that the last itty-bitty piece of this puzzle he's trying to put together is the hardest. And in many ways, Eamon, he is walking this road alone. No one has completed the career Grand Slam at Augusta National. It's just, it's no one can tell him. And I know he had Dr. Bob Rotella with him on Tuesday and Wednesday, and he came in seemingly with all of this momentum. Yeah, he missed the cut at the Players' Championship, but then he seemed to have found something in Austin, had that incredible moment on day two, driving the 18th green, uh, uh, beating Denny McCarthy. I mean, he was the only guy on the property, Eamon, who could hit this shot. So the thought was, okay, the problems with the putter have been addressed. And, and the driver, too, which he wasn't comfortable with at the players. I mean, there's just no one who's there in Austin that I saw who could hit this kind of golf shot. And he gets to Augusta, and he's asked all of these questions, and he's making his way through all of the interviews, and then the... Uh, you know, the media center and then the, the one-on-ones with Golf Channel and Sky Sports, and he's telling us that he's got his guy coming, his mental guy, and it just seemed like everything was in place for a good week, if not a, a green jacket, a good week. And maybe it's because of everything else that's going on. He's the face of this new-look PGA Tour. All due respect to Tiger, Tiger's not on the ground as much as Rory is, so Rory answers the lion's share of the questions about PIP and designated events and live golf. And I just wonder if it's just too much for him to check off the boxes that are most important to him with everything that he's having to carry. I would argue the the outside stuff, the the advocacy for the PGA Tour is diminishing a little bit now that we actually see what that new PGA Tour is going to look like. Now it's Jay Monaghan's problem to advocate for it and, and sell that message, not Rory McIlroy or, or Tiger Woods. But sure, those questions are going to follow him around as surely as the Masters questions are going to follow yeah. him around. When you're that talented and you're only one leg shy of the career Grand Slam, that's going to be the narrative Rory McIlroy faces driving down Magnolia Lane until he's got a lot more grey hairs than he does now. And he's starting to develop those grey hairs and the Masters might be part of the cause for that. But yeah, he, he tries different approaches every yeah. year in terms of the diffusing the, the pressure on him or trying to embrace it. Yeah. This year it felt like something in between, but it, just simply the game wasn't there. He looked particularly tense, I thought, when he walked towards the first tee mm. on, on Thursday morning, but the game just simply wasn't there, certainly not what we'd seen and what we'd heard him talk about in practice rounds a few weeks earlier at Augusta National. He was down there with Shane Lowry and Tom Brady and Jimmy Dunn, yeah. a member there, and he, he was playing really good golf going into it, but sometimes golf just slaps you upside the head. Finished third in Austin, beat Scotty Scheffler. I hope he sees it as a beautiful challenge, trying to complete the career Grand Slam, that, hey, you know what, I'm the only one who can do this. Yeah, you know, Phil, U.S. Open, sure, Jordan, PGA, yes, but I'm the only guy that has to carry this, and, and hopefully he sees it as a, a challenge and a beautiful challenge and not a burden, but I imagine it's got to be tough 
to be answering the questions time and time again. And maybe by checking a major championship box at some point, that'll help him on the road to Augusta. Sure, if he, if he wins next month at Oak Hill, where he's actually a member, his, mm. his wife Erica is from up in that area, then maybe that diffuses the question around the, the absence of a major championship. The question's always going to be there going into Augusta National, but he's still only, he's about to turn 34 years old. He's still got a lot yes, of time left for this. He's mm. basically the same age now as Phil was when he won his first Masters title and his first major championship. So there's definitely a lot of sand left in the hourglass yeah. here. Jordan Spieth, back in 2015, he made history with his victory in the Masters Tournament. He finished with a final round of 200 par 70 to tie Tiger Woods' tournament scoring record at 18 under par. And he didn't have to wait long for a second major victory, just two months in fact. In the US Open at Chambers Bay, he entered the final round in a four-way tie for the lead. He held on for the victory when Dustin Johnson missed a short putt on the final hole that would have forced a playoff. And the third leg of the career Grand Slam came two years later at Royal Birkdale, a thrilling final round duel with Matt Kuchar that included Spieth playing from the driving range. His final round 65 gave him the victory by three. Well, aiming the Masters in the books, the next major championship on the men's side will be the PGA, Oak Hill Country Club, Rochester, New York. I don't know what kind of weather we're gonna get in May outside of Buffalo. This is a meaty test of golf. We've got some odds to win courtesy of Bet MGM. You see Jordan Spieth, 20 to 1, John Rahm. There goes that man, 8 to 1, but also Scotty Scheffler, 8 to 1. Rory McIlroy looking for a fifth major championship. They already won the PGA a couple of times. He is 10 to 1. But how about Jordan Spieth? Because I sat in his presser at the Masters ahead of the tournament. And I love what he said. I don't have all of the weapons, but I have enough of them to win. Reminded me a little bit of that, uh, my peers fear me around this place when he was talking about Augusta National. Close at Bay Hill, close at RBC Heritage. Is he in form enough in your mind to win the PGA? Sure, and, wh and what's remarkable about what he's done the last couple of weeks at RBC and the Masters is that six out of seven weeks Jordan Spieth has played and he's kept a high level of form right up until the end of it. He didn't make it out of group play at the match play championship. That's the only time he's been out of the top 20. Mm. Most of the time he's been in the top 10 in this stretch. And he's right that he doesn't have all of the weapons, but he often has enough of them for the given test that week. And the putter has often dictated a lot of stuff with Jordan Spieth. He's 58th in putting on the PGA Tour right now. Last year, he was 155th, yeah. but it's, it's a roller coaster ride with that club in the bag. You go back over the years, go back past when he was 155th last year. The year before, 33rd. The year before that, 105th. Second, 123rd. You know, it, it very much is a roller coaster ride with that stick for Jordan. He's riding it now, he's riding some confidence, and he's just a great soap opera to listen to. How that translates to Oak Hill, that's a different story. Tell you what, his iron play right now, to me, is getting very close to vintage. Jordan Spieth, even when he drove it into the water on 10 yesterday, and I wish I had had the, the gumption and the guts to say he's going to find a way to make a Spieth par. That's exactly what he did. He hit his third to uh, 
four or five feet, and, and he made the putt to save his par. I mean, and you mentioned it's always a roller coaster. I think every round, almost every swing for Jordan Spieth is a roller coaster. But man, he just fights and grinds. His short game is so good. He's never out of a hole. Yeah, he, he'll make the mistake. With the big club, the big stick, the three wood, he can still be a little crooked sometimes. But, man, he just finds a way. It's like Tom Watson back in the day. They called him Watson pars. Spieth makes a lot of Spieth pars. And I thought that 10th hole yesterday was emblematic of a player who, even though it's not always pretty, finds a way to get the ball in the hole. And the question is, can he get the ball in the hole at Oak Hill mm. sooner than everyone else? I mean, he's about to launch his seventh attempt to win the PGA Championship and complete the career Grand Slam. When you take a look at the results, starting in 2017, right after that Open victory, when the PGA was still the last major of the year, he hasn't really put himself in contention much. That T3 in 2019 is a little bit misleading. He finished six behind Brooks Koepka and began the final round nine behind Koepka. So he hasn't really put himself into the mix. But I would argue he's under less pressure in attempting to complete the career Grand Slam. Why? than Rory McIlroy is because there is not the intimate familiarity with the venue. Mm. You go back to Augusta National every year. It's, it's the exact same course. And frankly, if the course doesn't suit you, and I would argue Augusta National does for the most part suit Rory McIlroy, but if the course doesn't suit you, it's kind of a lousy experience to keep going back there every year <laughs> right. to try to get the, the career Grand Slam. The venue's changing all the time with Jordan Spieth yeah. and the PGA Championships. He missed the cut at Oak Hill the last time the PGA was there, but that was 10 years ago at this point. So if the combination of the form, the changing of the venue, I think it, it gives a little fresher look every year. I don't think it's the same weight that rests on the shoulders of Jordan Spieth going back there every year to try to claim the career Grand Slam at the PGA Championship, as is on the shoulders of Rory McIlroy going to the Masters. Yeah, I think it's a great point you make, and all I can go on is the conversations that I was able to have with Jordan a couple times over the last two months on the PGA Tour, even though he didn't get the job done at Bay Hill. He seemed very happy about the trend line of his game, and then we saw him kind of, you know, having a little fun with his baby boy, Sammy, you know, after that defeat at Bay Hill. And then we saw him, as you mentioned, not making the weekend at the match play in Austin. I said, you know, what, what's your excitement level? Are you, are you happy with where your game is, especially going to the Masters? And he said, always. It was just a short, sweet answer. And he jogged off to catch the, the player's cart back to the clubhouse. But there was no distress in his face, even as he left Austin a little earlier than he would have liked. And I think the same yesterday. He may bemoan a couple of those putts, but those putts easily could have fallen. I just think that... If you're Jordan Spieth, a win yesterday would have been very nice for his career. But at this point, uh, it's about a few bigger fish, I think, for him. And I think that he can take the, the loss at Bay Hill and the tough call yesterday as building blocks towards something greater. We're talking about trying to become the sixth player to complete the career Grand Slam. You're, you're moving in the top 15, top 10 player of all time territory if you're able to check that box next month. And there are some legends who fell one short of the career Grand Salmon majors because of the PGA Championship. Arnold Palmer. Yeah. Runner up several times there. Tom Watson is yep. the only one he didn't win. He had a several shot lead back in 1978 at Oakmont and lost the PGA Championship that year. So it, it's not necessarily that it's guaranteed. He's going to have a lot of opportunities to win this. But the opportunities in which he can actually close the door they're going to be fewer and farther between. And there, there is a little bit of pressure on him. He's now, this is going to be the last one he's going to play in his 20s. He's yeah. kind of 
time is rolling on, yeah. even for the golden-haired child of, of 2015. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you can't rule out this guy when he shows up at major championships. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much of a roller coaster there is. It doesn't matter how much soap opera he's acting out in the conversations with his caddy, Michael Greller. He somehow manages to put himself in the mix more often than the mistakes he makes along the way would indicate that he should. I think you're having short-term yesterday probably stings, you know, long-term, big picture. I imagine that the speed camp very excited about the next major championship coming up in May. Back on Golf Today, we witnessed a spectacular finish Saturday night at the Lotte Championship as LPGA rookie Grace Kim drained a seven-foot birdie to beat Yu Jin Sung and Yu Lu in a playoff. Now, the win marks Kim's first on the LPGA Tour in just her third start as a tour member. She birdied 17 and 18 just to get into the playoff. Final round, 68, able to get it done in a playoff in Oahu. And check this out, by the way. The bio is very, very strong for this young player. She has won a lot in her career. You see LPGA rookie, a career win on the Epson Tour, two career women's PGA Tour of Australia wins, and the 2021 Australia Women's Amateur Champion as well. And the win, yeah, got to notice of a certain World Golf Hall of Fame member, Kari Webb, saying huge congrats, first of many Ws, I think, Enjoy the celebrations. Now, the winner herself, Grace Kim, joins us now. A nice shout-out from Kari Webb. You were the recipient of the Kari Webb Scholarship. Now, she did a lot of her winning before you were born, but what does her legacy, Grace, mean to you? It definitely inspires me to, you know, succeed as much as she did. She's given back um, despite how much she's achieved in her career. You know, it's kind of pointless for me to just pinpoint which one was the best, but... For her to be humble enough to just give back to people like myself or even elite amateurs before we turn pro to be able to kickstart our career is something, um, you know, like not a lot of people are selfless enough to do and something that I would really look up to doing and hopefully I can do it myself. Grace, you handled yourself very much like Carrie Webb when you found yourself in a playoff, just your third start on the LPGA Tour. You'd never been in a situation like that before with so much on the line. What were your nerves like heading into that playoff? Towards the back, man, I would say my nerves and my emotions were handled very well. Um, I'm surprised myself how I managed to, you know, be so calm in those certain situations. I think playing in my elite amateur days, I was also known to be quite good under pressure and... Yeah, I just keep telling myself, you know, I'm good enough. I'm nervous because, you know, I'm in a good situation and I can do it. So I think I manage myself mentally very well. What was the key moment for you, Grace? Maybe a great shot that you hit, maybe a turning point that you'll recall from your first win. I think towards the end, um, there were a lot of good and bad in there, but towards the end on 17, I think I missed that green um, the day before and I pulled it left, um, left and long of the pin. But I just couldn't quite get my contact and sequencing right on uneven lies. And to be able to conquer that with two holes to play and, you know, put it within 10 feet, make the birdie was, yeah, unbelievable. We've seen your resume, Grace. Obviously, you were a very highly decorated amateur player 
in Australia. Did you ever have any doubt or moments doubt at all that you could transition quickly into success in the professional ranks? Probably the most recent one would be my start to the Epson Tour last year. I started with two missed cuts. I missed the first two events, two missed cuts, and I, you know, kind of doubted myself saying, you know, I don't belong out here. It's not for me. I'm not ready yet. And then like a month later, I get my first win. So golf's a little crazy like that. And I've had similar situations in the junior um, days as well. So I think, yeah, I just kept pushing on and here I am. <laughs> well, you're the one hitting the shots, but what does it mean to have the likes of Minji Lee and Hannah Green, players that are from Australia, for you to look up to and maybe lean on from time to time? It's really comforting to know that I can message um, or, you know, even play practice rounds with them. It's I've gotten to a stage where I can just, you know, ask whether they're, you know, free to play some holes or have a chat. So, you know, they're, they're both such great ball strikers and just good golfers as well. So I think just the overall scheme of things, they're really good role models to look up to. Well, a lot of benefits come with winning the Lotte Championship, but one of them is getting into the field this week in the first major of the year at the Chevron Championship. What are your expectations for the week, Grace? I think same as yes, uh, last week, sorry. It's, it's going to be another big week. It's, my, it's the first major of the year, making sure my head's in the right, right um, area, I guess, and kind of, again, you know, play my own game, try to beat the course as a one-on-one -on -one match so trying not to think too much I guess. Now the cameras caught your mom uh, with you uh, in Hawaii <laughs> what was that first conversation like after you took home the trophy? I actually just started teasing her because I was like why are you crying it's 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 fine and she just got really emotional which was very nice to see and I'm Really happy to be able to share my first win on the LPGA with my mom. She's only here for three months. So to me, like this win came around so quickly and I'm very blessed for that. But to be able to share that with mom is also something really special. Well, congratulations, Grace. As Kari Webb says, the, the first of many. Best of luck this week in Texas. Thank you very much, guys. Stay with us. Got another winner joining us on the other side of the break. Spencer Levine, fresh off his win over the weekend on the Corn Ferry Tour, his first world-ranked victory in 15 years. More on his journey when we return. Welcome back to Golf Today. Time for a little in case you missed it. A cool story yesterday on the Corn Ferry Tour, 38-year-old Spencer Levine Monday qualified into the Veritex Bank Championship and went on to take home the trophy. Levine entered the final round six strokes behind, but a final round 63 gave him a one-shot win. It marks his first worldwide victory in 15 years. And how's this about a tribute to fortitude from the Corn Ferry Tour, 6,513 days after turning professional and in his 343rd career start, Spencer Levine wins his first PGA Tour-sanctioned event. Life-changing never comes too late. Been at it for a long time, 38 years of age. As you mentioned, Sacramento native, Sacramento Kings fan enjoying the playoffs so far. Two-time All-American at Mexico, low amateur 2004, 
U.S. Open. 244 PGA Tour starts with 17 top tens. Lost in the playoff to our buddy Johnson Wagner, Mayakoba back in 2011, and as mentioned, won on the Corn Ferry Tours. First win in 99 Corn Ferry Tour starts, and Spencer joins us now. Man, you're the definition of a lifer in this game, a grinder, first win since 2008 in Canada. Why was last week your time? I don't know, man. I wish I knew. Uh, if I did, I'd do it more often. Um, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think percentages just catch up, and uh, I, I knew I was playing well, and I had some good things happen to me, and um, it was just my time. You know, it was great. It was just my week. Spencer, on paper, it wouldn't have appeared as though the, the results were pointing in the, in the direction of a win. Did you feel as though you were hitting the ball better than the results may have shown for a while? Yeah, um, I, haven't, I haven't really gotten that many starts um, in the last few years. Um, I, I haven't really played many tournaments in a row. Like, I haven't had a real set schedule. And that can be kind of tough to get some momentum. Um, this is the first time in a long time I've played um, three weeks in a row, uh, two weeks in a row, let alone three weeks in a row um, on a schedule of a tour. So this was my third week in a row I got in a tournament. And um, I, I think that, you know, I, I, I was showing, I was playing pretty well, um, you know, tee to green for a while. Um, I, I haven't been putting great the last couple of years and haven't been playing that much. But, um, yeah, I mean, I honestly, I didn't. <laughs> I had to Monday qualify. I wasn't even in the tournament um, until I got through Monday. So I was just uh, I was just happy to be in a tournament. I knew I was playing well. Obviously, I didn't know I was going to win, but um, I knew I was hitting it well. So I, uh, I I feel like the results were coming as long as I got the starts, and, and I'm happy to get a few starts and, and uh, have some have a great result. It was awesome. Now, you've proven to be quite a veteran of these Monday qualifier shootouts. When you get into the tournament, does that take pressure off because everything's gravy after that? Or does it just add pressure because you've had to earn that opportunity and want to maximize it? You know, that, that, that's a great question. Um, I, I, I think it kind of has to do with, with how you're playing. Um, I know, obviously, you've got to be playing well to get through the Monday. But, uh, you know, sometimes you might have a career round where you putt great or get some great breaks. But I, I think it has more to do with how you're playing. And I was just happy with the fact that I, I knew I was playing well going into it. So the pressure... The pressure wasn't really there because I felt like since I Mondayed, it's already a bonus anyway. So whether whether you make the cut or not or, or play great or not, it's, it's going to be something at least in your favor that was better than you started the week. So I, I didn't feel a lot of pressure and I knew I was playing well. And and I was, I was happy I got through the Monday because I knew I was playing well and I knew I could play well this week. So um, of all Mondays I've played in and had a chance, you know, if you're a handful under par, you still don't know if you're going to make it or not. But I was just hoping I'd get through this one because of, because of where my game was at. And then, uh, fortunately, it just turned out to be a, you know, a, a life-changing week for me. So, it was great. Spencer, it's been interesting reading the stories about this win. Golf Digest says uh, this week that you're a former amateur golf bad boy, a former wild child. How would you describe yourself then and now? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. That, that's them talking, not me. Uh, yeah, I, um, I, could, I could run a little hot back in the day. I still do a little bit here and there. But... Uh, I don't know, man. I'm almost 40 years old. It takes too much energy for me to get as mad as I used to. But uh, I, I still, uh, I still love to play and I still love to compete, and that's still there. But um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not getting quite as mad these days on a bad shot. I think it's probably my age. Well, you know, in a long golf career and in life, people come and go. Who's been with you the longest through the tough times, and what role did they play? Well, my family's always been there. Um, always been there. 
uh, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, everybody's always been there. My friends, I got a lot of lifelong friends, um, tons of friends in, in Sacramento, tons of friends everywhere who've, who've always been, always been in my corner, man. I've had a lot of support from a lot of people. And, um, to, to be honest with you, pretty much everybody, man. I mean, I got, you know, yesterday was cool. I had over 300 text messages. I'm, I'm still trying to text everybody back. Um, it, it, it means a lot to me that it means a lot to my friends and family. So I've had support from everyone, man. And I just, uh, I couldn't have done it without them. And, and it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't mean anything to me without everybody. So it, it, it's been great. Spencer, you only had one top 10 finish in, in five years before this victory. Was there a point during that struggle where you ever did think about just walking away from the game? You know, I, I think in the back of my mind a little bit sometimes, um, but it's weird. I, I think I didn't really get in many tournaments again the last five years, so that in itself, you know, you're always kind of thinking, well, maybe if I get in one, I can play well. But I, I, I thought about it, but not super seriously. Like, I never went out. I never did anything. I never took initiative to go get a different kind of job. It was always still... I'm going to get up in the morning to practice. I'm going to get up in the morning or, you know, to, to go work on what I need to for my golf. It's just what I've always done. And um, I, I, I think in the, in the back of my mind, I always knew I, I wanted to play because I always knew I could still play. I mean, the results a lot of times didn't show it. But um, so, so to be honest with you, I, 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 the, no, I really didn't. I mean, I, I never took initiative to, so I, I guess I never did, even if I thought about it. So I was just always going to be a golfer. You were 19 years old when you finished tied 13th at that U.S. Open at Shinnecock Hills back in 2004. If you could give that teenager some advice, knowing what you know now, what would that advice be? I, I want to ask him what I was doing then and bring that back now. No, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, um, it's funny. I, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just I feel like life life can can be so different at certain stages of your life in terms of your age, and you know, I, I really don't know what I would tell him. I would. Uh, I would just probably tell them to practice harder and work out more. I mean, that's what all the great ones do. So if I can go back, I would probably tell them that. Well, how about looking forward? If you get another bite of the PGA Tour Apple, uh, what do you want to accomplish uh, at the show, the big stage? Well, I, I, uh, I've never won out there, and I've won on the Corn Ferry now, so I would like to win out there. You mentioned a lot, Spencer, about not getting a lot of starts over the last few years. What does this do in, in practical terms of being able to set a schedule and know where you are playing for the rest of this year? I tell you what, it's great. I, um, it's been a while since I've had, had the luxury to do that. Um, just, uh, just setting a schedule, knowing when you want to play and, and not, it, it, uh, it just, it's, it's great. It's great. And um, to, to have a, you know, to get up on the money list now and it completely changes the whole year in one week, it's great. And I, I'm sure every player will tell you the same. Um, it, it's, it's, it's comforting and it's peaceful knowing that you have a place to play golf and uh, that you don't have to, I don't have to Monday for a while anyway. So that's, uh, that's a beautiful thing. So. Beautiful thing. Life-changing, as you put it. Congratulations. Best of luck going forward. Best of luck to your Sacramento Kings yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Keep lighting that beam, baby. <laughs>